Amen. You may be seated and the children may go to Children's Church. Woohoo! Yay, Children's Church. All right. Always an exciting part of the morning as they go bounding down the stairs. Yes, indeedy. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. You are not surprised that we are continuing down the road of Acts, the book of... I always have trouble with that word in my head. I say Acts, and I think I'm talking about a hatchet, right? Acts. No, no, Acts. And so I overpronounce the T, and you know, you probably don't care about any of that. So we'll just keep moving right along. Uh, But we're still in the book of Acts, uh, and so today, oddly enough, this is called an anvil for the hammers, an anvil for the hammers. So we're going to start with a quote, and then we'll jump in. The French reformer, Theodore Beza, made a famous response to King Henry, sire, It is truly the lot of the church of God for which I speak to endure blows and not strike them. But may it please you to remember that it is an anvil which has worn out many hammers. It is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. Last week, Pastor Sean talked about, uh, he did the first seven verses of chapter six of the book of Acts. We're still in chapter six of the book of Acts. So if you want to head that direction in your Bible, whether it be paper or electronic, that would be awesome. And I'll just do a quick recap and we'll jump right in this morning. So what we saw last week was the institution of servants, right? There was, a, there was an uproar there in Jerusalem, the, the Hellenistic Jewish widows. That's, by the way, that's not Jewish widows named Helen. It is the Greek-speaking uh, people from the, from the diaspora, the dispersion. They started complaining that they weren't getting part of the daily distribution. They weren't getting... The, the food that was being passed out, and the apostles, they said, hey, we have a great idea. Pick seven men of good repute, holy, and they will do that. So what we see there is sort of the, the precursor to what we now know as a deacon ministry, servant ministry. Um, Stephen was the first one listed. A lot of scholars seem to think that Stephen was the first one listed because Luke was telling a story, and that story had everything to do with what's coming next. What we're going to talk about today, what we'll hear about next week, okay? So four points that Pastor Sean brought out last week. Uh, One is that we should celebrate gospel-centered church growth. When people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we should be jumping up and down, high-fiving, praising God, and saying, That's awesome. We like that, right? We want to experience church growth, gospel-centered church growth. Does it mean that that it all grows right here in this building? No. No. Sometimes it's when we're somewhere else, right? Sometimes it's when we're in Guatemala. Sometimes it's in Lithuania. Sometimes it's in Baltimore. Sometimes it's in Deepahani, South Africa. Sometimes it's right here. And sometimes it's right here temporarily while people live their lives and end up in other places. But we should celebrate gospel-centered church growth. The second point he brought out, when the church grows, 
<laughs> expect problems. When the church grows, expect problems. In our example last week, we saw that there was a group who, were being, who at least felt they were being mistreated or undertreated, and a complaint arose. And then the apostles had to pivot, find a solution, implement that solution, right? So as a church grows, and we can think of examples here. Uh, not that many years ago, there were no children in this place. None. This church body started praying for children. Guess what happened? Children. Guess what we needed then? People to minister to the children, right? So when you experience true true gospel-centered church growth, you're going to experience problems. And that's why the structure that is laid out for us in the Bible and here at Mission Community, we, we have a leadership team that, that a lot of that stuff ends up with and we funnel through and we take care of those things. But we have to expect that there will be problems. Those are also known in, if you're in the business world at all, those aren't problems. Those are opportunities. We have an opportunity for growth and learning here, right? So we get a chance to, to expand ministry and, to, and, to, and, and enlist more people in the work. The third thing that he talked about was to protect Biblical priorities make wise adjustments and center on prayer. Now, we like to think that we pray a lot. I've actually listened to some some other preachers' messages this past week that coincidentally, uh, or God-ordained, were about prayer. And and one, one, um, one famous writer on prayer said that he rarely prayed more than 20 minutes at a time. But that he rarely went more than 20 minutes without praying. So it's short bursts of concentrated, focused prayer. Now, if you're anything like me, and I'm sure you're not, but sometimes I can get off into praying, and I've been there for a little while, and suddenly I'm thinking, I'm praying, dear Lord, thank you for this, and oh, by the way, who won the Red Sox game? No, wait, 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 and I'm back over here, and I'm focused again for a few minutes, and then I'm wandering. I wonder what's for lunch today. Oh, no, 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 I'm back, right? Or all the things that are going on. And so for me, when I sit down to read, when I sit down to read God's Word, I actually out loud say, Lord, please clear my mind of all distractions. Clear this room of all distractions. Help me to focus on your word. Help me to see what you have in store for me today. Some days are better than others. I can't be any more honest about it than that. Some days are better than others. But we have to focus on church growth, and we have to focus on prayer, and we have to focus on making wise decisions. One of the things Pastor Sean talked about last week was, was the very um, biblical priority. What is our pastor's role? What is the lead pastor's role? Well, there's an indicator in his title. He's to lead. He's to lead in spiritual growth. He is to lead in discipleship. He is to, to make sure that we're learning what we should learn, that we should uh, continue to grow spiritually. He should be guiding that effort. It isn't necessarily that he is 
going to hospital visits. It is not necessarily that he's going to every social function. Those are okay. They're good. But it's really not his role. As we saw last week, that's what a set of servants was chosen for. And, and that's the precursor that's the precursor to what we understand as deacon ministry today. Deacon literally serving, right? Number four, we should see growth problems as opportunities for more gospel-centered growth. When we see these opportunities, it's an opportunity, it's a chance for us to learn more and to grow more. Whew. All right, that was last week. You ready for this week? Let me pray. Father in heaven, you are holy and righteous and perfect, and we thank you. We praise you. We give you honor and glory. I pray now, Lord, as we go through your word and we read your word, that we, through the Holy Spirit, understand it, that you would speak to us through your word, that we, that we would leave this place differently than we came in for your honor and glory, that you would be lifted up, that you would be made famous, that you would be glorified in all that we say and do here. I pray that you would keep me out of your way, that the words that come out of my mouth are the words you want to come out, that I haven't added to or taken from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to spend a little bit of time in the classroom. As I, uh, I, I like to say that, but I really I stole the phrase. Uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time in the classroom, then we're going to go to church, and we're going to have a little fun, at least I am. All right, Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 8. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and some of the Cyrenians, hang on, I lost my spot, and of the Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemies, blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the doing, and the changing of our lives through his word. Amen. All right, so we're going to talk about a few things this morning. We're going to talk about some parallels. I've got seven parallels that I've found in this passage, and I hope that you will see them as well. The first parallel is signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. What do I mean by that? In verse 8, full, Stephen was full of power and grace and was doing great signs and wonders. Jesus did many miracles, many signs and wonders. 
the apostles in this part of church history, early in church history, were doing many signs and wonders. And look, how did the church start? The church started at, at about 120 people. We know that because we learned that in Acts, early in Acts, right? What's happened now? The church has added thousands of people. 3,000 that one day, pretty big jump. I think I've heard Pastor Pete say, hey, I wouldn't mind adding 3,000 here on a Sunday morning. You know what? I agree. But where does that leave us? If it's gospel-centered growth, we go back to last week, what Pastor Sean was talking about, it's an opportunity for growth, right? We, we get to do things differently at that point. So Jesus did miracles. In Acts, the apostles did signs and wonders. And now, Stephen is the first non-apostle that we see in the text to do that. The second thing that I will point out is the parallel is that he was disputed with. Disputed with. Now, to help get a little word picture here, what we have to understand is disputed with isn't, Jerry, I disagree with you. I just, I, I disagree with you. That's not what that word means. What that word really means is that they were up in each other's face, they were pointing fingers, they were shouting, they were waving their arms, they were getting all sorts of excited, they were getting heated up, and they were really talking loud. They were disputing with Stephen. Have you, have you in your Bible reading seen anything like that before? Yeah. Turns out that kind of thing happened a lot. It happened to Jesus. It happened to the apostles early in the book of Acts. So I almost named this the same old story today, right? Just the same. We see the same things over and over and over again. The third one, the third one is that they instigated lies against Stephen. Now, this is more than this is more than uh, water cooler gossip lie stories, right? I mean, this is, if you think about it, it is really, it's a frame-up job. They're framing him. They're, they're making up lies about Stephen. They're, they're, it is, one, one scholar puts it very technically, he says, it's a frame-up job, right? Literally, the word is that they were putting words into people's mouths so that they could say them back out and, and cause more trouble. Now, two great examples for us, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, and uh, you'll have to write this one down or turn really fast because it won't be on the screen. The first one's in 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 10 and 13. 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 10 and 13. Wow! That's really good. Thank you, Toria. That's awesome. She got it up there. Uh, and set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. Then verse 13, And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth and the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. They made it up. 
The second example from the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew 26, 59 and 60. Matthew 26, 59 and 60. And that says, now who do you suppose this is about, by the way? Jesus. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward. They're making it up. They're setting them up to fail. They're setting them up to be punished. It isn't just Stephen. This is an old song. This stuff has happened before. The next point, the next parallel, is that they stirred up the people. Stirred up the people. Now, I'm going to make you think for a moment. Can you think of an example earlier in the Bible when they stirred up the people? You know, sometimes it's entertaining to stand up here and watch your faces. It it just really is. There's a lot of, uh, I hope he's not calling on anybody. No, so think about back to Jesus' trials, those fake trials, those false trials. And then Pilate comes out and he says, hey, I can offer you anybody. I can offer you Jesus. He can go free today. And what did they say? They said, no, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Well, do you think that whole crowd thought of that on their own in that instant? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Somebody was stirring up the muck. Again, this is happening to Stephen. Now, parallels, parallels. Just sometimes it's interesting what you read. The next parallel is false witnesses. False witnesses. Again, like Jesus in Mark chapter 14, verses 57 and 58. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. What does false witness mean? Come on, somebody. Liar! Now, when you were you know, this tall, what did you say? Liar, liar, pants on fire. Exactly right. Yeah, they're lying. They're lying. There's a thought here. There's an idea here that, hey, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. If it's bad enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. The next parallel is that he was dragged before the council. We have seen this too. Jesus, dragged before the council, gone, taken to fall, false, made-up trials. We've seen it in the book of Acts, that the apostles are dragged before the council. What do we, again, we've been here before. We've been here before. And then the, the, the last parallel I want to point out, the last one is this idea of a face of an angel. The face. Now, I got to tell you, that's a weird, in my, when I read that, when I read that, it's, it, it just doesn't roll off the tongue as well. Think about this for a second. They stirred up the crowd. They got the false witnesses. They're a 
accusing him of horrible... By the way, if you'll notice in your Bible, their, their, their complaint is that, uh, that, that, these, that he was speaking words against the holy place and the law. Not God. That's not what they were concerned about. That, that he, he was speaking false things against the temple and the law. You could call that a bit of idolatry. That they were placing those things in front of or more important to God. But they're accusing him. They're accusing him. They're saying these lies. They're saying horrible things. And then in verse 15, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. What a... I, is it just me or is that like a weird turn of tempo in that story? Apparently it's just me. But it is. It's a, it's a weird change of tempo. I mean, they're... I'm, I have... Words are my friend, I promise. So... I, you, you will hear me often say, when you read the Bible, read it with personality. Read it with passion. You can't just read it, say, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then you're losing part of what's in there. So when you read it, read it. By the way, I always, I always advise, recommend that you read the Bible out loud. When you're sitting at home with a quiet time, read the Bible out loud. When you're sitting out on the back porch with a cup of coffee, read the Bible out loud. And when you do, read it with read it like you're listening to what was that guy's name that anyway, there was there's lots of people that, that read audiobooks and stuff like that. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Put some life into it. Put some personality. Put some, some emphasis into it. So you, you get the word pictures in your head. So we're going through this passions. We're going through this. And, it's, and they're doing the things. And they're lying. They're dragging him before the council. And everyone who saw his face said that it was like the face of an angel. I'm telling you, that's just a weird change of pace. Just a weird change of pace. But I have two examples for you. Two pretty good examples for you. So we're going to go back to the Old Testament again. Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 to 30 and 35. Exodus 34. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. The people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him, him being the Lord. So Moses spends time with God and his face gets shiny, shiny. Next passage, Matthew chapter 17, verse 2. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. That's Jesus at the transfiguration. This is something that is happening to Stephen that is outside of Stephen's control. It is outside of Stephen. 
but it is another parallel. It's another parallel. So, that's school. Hopefully, picked up a little bit. Hopefully, you're buying into my parallel theory. I hope you are. Now, what's the point? What's the point? Well, Kenneth Gangle, in the New American Commentary, quotes an old fable. Animal football. An interesting fable concerns a football game between the little animals and the big animals. The score was 84 to 0 at halftime. In hopelessness, the little animals kicked off to begin the second half. Somehow, the chimp who handled the kickoff was tackled on the 10-yard line, the worst field position of the day for the big animals. On first down, they ran the elephant through the middle. No gain. On second down, they threw a zebra screen pass. No gain. On third down, a deep pass to the tight giraffe. And again, no gain. As the defensive unit of little animals came screaming off the field, the coach, a gopher, shouted over their excited roar, Who made the tackle on the kickoff? The centipede responded, I did, coach. Who stopped the elephant down the middle? Again, the centipede. I did, coach. Who knocked down those two passes? To the gopher's amazement, the centipede again acknowledged that it was his feat of defense. Having heard the report, the coach screamed at the centipede, Where were you in the first half? To which the centipede replied, In the locker room, taping my ankles. Yes. So, I'm going to draw out a couple of questions here, and we're going to take this thing home. Here's here's the question I want to ask. Here's the first question I want to ask to drive this home. Are you still in the locker room taping your ankles? Or are you on the field playing? When it comes to ministry, are you still sitting and waiting your turn? Or are you headlong into it? Are you diving in, being a part of the team, making tackles, throwing passes, whatever analogy we want to use, but are you involved in ministry? What ministry are you supposed to be involved in? What ministry are you supposed to be involved in? When we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells us, and guess what we get? Say it with me. Spiritual gifts. Okay, that was pitiful. Let's try again. Say it with me. Spiritual gifts. One more time. Spiritual gifts. Do we get just one? Maybe. Do we get them all? No. But God uniquely, He unique, just like that, the word is gone. He uniquely enables us to do what He has for us to do, what He has called us to do. Whether it's children's ministry, like what's going on downstairs right now, or if it's musical ministry. And by the way, Ryan, where'd you go? 
Thank you again. If you don't know Ryan, make sure you say hi to him before you leave. He, uh, Ryan's an old friend of ours. He's a friend of, of uh, mission communities, a friend of our worship team and, and uh, our pastors. So uh, uh, we're glad to have you back. Thank you very much for gracing us. Um, always, always a pleasure. Um, so if you've been blessed with that, by the way, just so we're clear, I have the spiritual gift of playing the radio. Okay, It is not a musical gift. I can play the radio most days. Okay, But what has God gifted you for, and are you doing that? Are you involved with mission community? Are you involved with your congregation? Are you serving? Here's the tough question. Thinking about what Pastor Sean talked about last week. In your current involvement in ministry, in serving, would you have been one of the people they chose in Jerusalem to care for the widows? In your current ministry involvement, would they? And I'm not asking you to say that out loud. Please don't. But would, would you have been chosen? So get off the bench, get in the game, stop, stop taping your ankles. And there's a couple of ways to get involved in ministry. And it is ministry here in the context of the local worshiping body, the local church, mission community church. But it is also ministry when we go places. When we, and and I'm, I'm sad that Pastor Sean uh, and... Brandon and, and Josh are not here because Brandon and Josh have a fantastic story to tell from Friday night. Fantastic story. I'm not going to steal it. I'll let them tell it. But we've talked about this book before, 1,000 Risks. It's by a man named Chad Johnson. I've had the pleasure of meeting Chad a couple of times, uh, having some lunch with him. And Chad is a unique individual. Chad will pray for you at the drop of a hat, even if he's never met you. Actually, especially if he's never met you sometimes. But he, what he did is he set a goal or a challenge for himself, a 1,000 over the course of however long it took, 1,000 encounters of prayer. Some of them involve healing, physical healing. Some of them are spiritual healing. Some of them are salvation-related. Am I telling you to go do what Chad did in this book? Sure, why not? There is absolutely no harm in it. What I'm saying, though, is to get involved, to get moving, to get going, to continue to serve. Ministry isn't just in this place, but it is also in this place. Ministry is where we go every day. Work, school, restaurants. You know, we've talked about this a lot. We are people who tend to ask our servers at restaurants, hey, what can we pray for for you today? And there are a couple of standard answers like, uh, no, I'm good, thanks. <laughs> we pray for them anyway. Um, but sometimes it's very specific, and sometimes, sometimes they will sit right down, tell us the story, and pray with us. That's awesome. That's awesome. But whatever it is, what are you doing? When, when, it, when we come to think about the times to come, when we think about the times to come,
we should think about what Jesus said. Luke chapter 21, verses 10 through 19. Luke 21, 10 through 19. Then he said to them, talking about the times to come, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Think about that. You're going to be arrested and harassed, and this is your big opportunity. On the count of three, everybody say, Woo! One, two, three. Yes, it's our opportunity. We're going to get to serve. We're going to get beat up. We're going to get arrested. We're going to get thrown in jail. We're going to lose our houses. Yes. And Jesus says that's our opportunity to bear witness. Verse 14, settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Right back to verse 10 that we just talked about. Stephen, they couldn't, they couldn't argue with Stephen. He had gotten from the Holy Spirit what he needed. Verse 16. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Now, don't take that the wrong way. Don't be frightened. Be excited. Be excited. It should prompt us to serve more, to serve with more love and with more passion. We should practice our spiritual disciplines, increasing our devotional life, so that when God calls, we are prepared to serve. We should align with our church. We should be aligned with Mission Community Church on one path. The church in the book of Acts in chapter Two were of one mind, unified, one mind. There's what, 30, 40, 50 people in here? Not 30, 40, 50 different opinions. One mind, one mind. Don't be surprised by, in fact, expect opposition. Welcome it as an honor to serve a mighty king. Luke 21, 10 through, nope, that's not it. 12, yep, 21, 12. Before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. Delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, you will be brought before kings and governors for my sake, and you will be, this will be opportunity. What is persecution, by the way? We hear that word a lot. It gets thrown around a lot. What is it really? What is it really? If I asked you to, could you define persecution right now? 
Could be. I will share with you my opinion that in this country, we don't know what that is. At least not yet. Release International defines Christian persecution as a situation where Christians are repetitively, persistently, and systematically inflicted with grave or serious suffering or harm and deprived of or significantly threatened with deprival of their basic human rights because of a difference that comes from being a Christian that the persecutor will not tolerate. To distinguish religious persecution from other types, it is helpful to ask if a person had other religious beliefs or would change their religion to the majority religion of the country, would things get better for them? If the answer is yes, then it seems persecution is on religious grounds. Let me go back. Grave or serious suffering or harm. If you think about China, if you think about Iraq, you think about Iran, you think about Yemen, you think about Somalia, where people are arrested and dying, jailed, Saudi Arabia, Muslim countries where they're kicked out of their families, they lose their homes and their jobs because they become a Christian, that's persecution. One of Pastor Josh's favorites, Charles Spurgeon, said, Every time her blood was shed, her being the church, each drop became became a man, and each man thus converted stood prepared to pour out the vital current from his veins to defend the cause. Christ's church never sails so well as when she is rocked from side to side with the winds of persecution. Nothing has helped God's church so much as persecution. That's Charles Spurgeon. If you look at church growth or decline here in this country, and you compare it with church growth in places like China, where it is, with air quotes, it's okay to have church, but it's not. They're still under persecution. The church grows there. Spurgeon was exactly right. Now, I have a book in my hand called Jesus Freaks. It is a modern release, re-release of Fox's Book of the Martyrs. If you want to learn about martyrdom, if you want to hear what's going on to people like that, Fox's Book of the Martyrs or Jesus Freaks, and it will take you through example after example after example of real persecution. And now you're thinking, Scott, you have excited us. This is awesome. We're really ready to jump in and serve. And it's almost lunchtime, so woo! Yes, thank you very much. James tells us, chapter 1, verse 2 through 5. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various kinds, trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Okay. Thank goodness it wasn't Father's Day or Mother's Day or some other happy day. This is the reality. 
So what do we do with all of that? Pastor Scott, what have you done to us? <laughs> what did you lay in our laps this morning? Well, I think, I think we see opportunity. I think we see the opportunity to serve, to serve a loving God, a holy and righteous God. You know, sometimes the worst we suffer, the worst that we'll come across is when, like four of us up in Baltimore, with gloves and boots and face masks, we're shoveling out a old garage. And Isaac is in the back of the room going, oh, don't even remind me of that. It was horrible. But some of us, lots of us in this room have been to, to Lily's place, to been to the Transformation Center, part of that process of helping clean that up. It was a mess. It was nasty. Sometimes sir, our serving doesn't get any nastier than that. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it's messy. But God calls us to serve. And we should count it all, what? Say it again. We should count it all joy, brothers and sisters. We should count it all, oh, you're pitiful. Try again. We should count it all joy. Absolutely. We should count it all joy when we get the opportunity to serve a mighty God. Because if we think about the stuff we go through, what is that compared to what a, what a holy and righteous God did for us? What is that compared to the very Son of God leaving the perfect place in heaven, coming here, living in first century Israel, in the nasty the dirty, the smelly. And by the way, he had to live around all of us. But he did. He did it for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life. He came with love. He came with power. He came with triumph. And he extends that to us today. He gives that to us today. So count it all joy, brothers and sisters. Count it all joy, brothers and sisters. Count it all joy. Let's pray. Father, you are perfect and holy and righteous. You are the one true God. And Father, we praise you. We give you honor. We give you glory. This week was a, a little bit of a hard word. Next week will be a little bit of a hard word. But it's not too hard for you. And as we here at Mission Community, as we, as we invite people to know Jesus. And we invite people to become part of this family. As we, as we head toward July 1st, when it's going to be our big, we're pointing to July 1st as our big membership day. That we renew or begin a new membership with Mission Community Church. We pray that you 
would be our guide and that we would hear and listen to you. May we serve with joy, Lord. May we, may we serve humbly and with joy. Joy doesn't mean happy, but joy means that we're focused on the cross, that we're focused on you, and that you're our reward. You're, you are our gift. Lord, we pray that you'd be lifted up and glorified. We pray that you would give us more and more opportunities for gospel-centered growth. And we pray, Father, we pray that if trials come our way, if testing comes our way, if opposition comes our way, if dispute comes our way, that you would give us the words, that you would give us the grace, and that we would count it all joy for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If there's